Hello and welcome to another episode in the Creating Customer Success podcast series. My name is Dan and I'm your host. And my name is Alex and I'm your co-host. In this series, we are interviewing customer success leaders to learn how to build and run the best CS teams. We hope you enjoy listening. Well, firstly, Jake, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Really excited to have you as a guest. So I've been quite a big fan of yours um, for a couple of years, ever since I saw an interview that you did with uh, Gary Vaynerchuk and, and kind of since then been following you on LinkedIn particularly with a lot of your video content, yeah. which is great. And we thought you would make a, a fantastic guest to give us some perspective on, on customer success and how that feeds into other departments and the importance of it within a business. But before going into that conversation, it would be really great if you would just be able to perhaps maybe give your um, brief introduction to our audience around uh, a little bit into your kind of background and, and insight sure. into who you are and uh, what you do. Yeah, that's great. And, and thank you. I appreciate that, man. Um, yeah, it feels like that was a long time ago, but it wasn't that long ago. Um, but no, I, I appreciate that. So, you know, my background, look, I've spent the last, you know, 15 plus years in, in marketing, sales, um, account management world. Um, you know, previous lives as a vice president of sales at Glassdoor, I built out the sales organization there, moved on to, to do the same thing for a startup in New York. And then seven years started my own firm, Scaled. And really what we do is we work with really two sets of clients. You'll call it like growth stage companies and organizations that are scaling. And really we serve as almost like a, a sales agency where we're helping them with everything from, you know, leadership, strategy support, content, and, and sales operations and technology. So we're really kind of the, the Swiss army knife you bring in to help to tackle very targeted issues as you're growing and scaling to keep the, the airplane up and running. And then, you know, over the last three years, we've grown into more of like the enterprise space where more and more big companies are looking to grow and looking to innovate. You know, obviously you mentioned our work, you know, my work around LinkedIn. And so a lot of organizations, you know, we firmly believe that LinkedIn has got to be a part of your CS strategy, your demand gen, your sales strategy. And so we do a lot of modernization around the sales process itself or other parts of demand gen or CS with large organizations that are, that are trying to innovate. And so, you know, every year I'm working with probably myself, the team, you know, we've got about 25 people. Obviously everyone's remote now, but we have offices in New York and, and in Austin, um, you know, work with a lot of international companies too. Um, and, you know, really kind of our sweet spot and, and why people work with us is that we're tactical, that we don't just like sit here and deliver reports. Like our team gets in the trenches, helps to execute, works with the frontline teams, make sure things are adopted, et cetera. So, that's a, that's a relatively that's quick high level. It wasn't too long. No, that was, that was perfect. And um, you, you kind of touched on a word there, actually, that sparked my interest around the modernization of kind of the sales, the sales process, I guess, yeah. um, which is something I, I like about your content. And I guess thinking probably more so from, from a CS perspective, do and, and taking what you've learned from modernizing like the sales process what are your views on customer success in general and how perhaps maybe that should be modernizing itself yeah. with the ever-changing world of social media? There's a lot of ways. I, I, I really feel like right now CS is really behind. And <laughs> there's a couple areas where I feel like CS is behind. And, and, and I'll kind of maybe do a little bit of a history lesson here too. Like it used to be that the salesperson was also the person that managed the account. And what that did is it, it tied the salesperson to, you know, close the right deals, grow the account, grow the relationship because they had ever-growing quotas. What, what's happened, I feel like, over the last really like seven to eight years is CS has started to become more of a reactive service organization versus a growth business partner. 
And, and I think it's just because we're, we're so focused on specializing these roles and not that that's the wrong thing, but I, I feel like the, the profile of what you saw from a CS or AM, I feel like we're continuing to just think like that you can just service people and they'll magically grow as opposed to really investing. I'm just not, I just don't think we're investing enough in training mm -hmm. business acumen and other things into our CS org. So, so that's one. The other piece is technology that sure there are tools that you can use that will measure customer usage, but there's tools that the sales organization is using like, um, like outreach or sales law that allow you to set up a sequence of events that you can then make sure you're having touch points with customers. And CS is not doing, you know, the amount of CS teams that, you know, I've, I've talked to these companies all the time and their CEOs and you know, they've got like 4% of their use case or CS. And so CS has been very slow to, and, and I think CS teams are getting more and more overloaded, which means they need more technology to help them keep up. And I feel like the only thing they have is like a red, yellow, green gauge of like, is this client happy based on an algorithm versus really understanding how do you manage a, a tier one, a tier two, and a tier three account? These are plays that we run. This is how we manage those relationships. So I feel like CS is, is really behind right now from a business acumen standpoint and from a, a lack of technology and, and, and investment. But, but the reason is we put new business on a pedestal. And not that there's anything wrong with new, I love new business, but we forgot that actually our current clients can probably get us to our annual number if we just like double down on that, you know? And, and I feel like a lot of companies as they're scaling, you know, I'll have conversations with founders that let's say they've been, you know, current client, maybe they're doing 10 million, 20 million a year and they're scaling and I'll have conversations. I'll say, we, we got to go outbound. I'm like, okay, let's talk about it. Like, why? Well, Blah, blah, blah. We need, okay. All right. Well, let's just do this. If I said, what leads do you think generate like move faster and a higher average contract value? Your current customers, inbound leads or outbound leads? They're like, well, probably current customers. I'm like, exactly. Let's go fix that first. Let's go develop a, a growth process for how we onboard and set up success for the next sale. Then let's fix, then, then let's think about inbound, which is also better and then outbound. And so I feel like CS has just taken a backseat mentally to, for a lot of CEOs as they're scaling. And it's just, it's, it's a waste. There's so much money just laying on the ground. If you just, you know, had better processes for working with your current clients. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of like an endless cycle, right? Because if the, the lack of investment in things like technology to support CS doesn't exist, then CS can't operate effectively, which probably results in even less investment in CS. It's kind of like an ongoing cycle, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think like the, the venture community uh, perpetuates this because they just look at it as like an, in like a lead at top of final equation, as opposed to realizing like, you know, when your first one or two sales with a client, you can probably 300 X 500, you know, depending on your sale, right. What that relationship looks like versus one new deal at X. Now granted, obviously look, you need new deals to grow clients. I get it everyone. But, but my point is there's just a lot of opportunity there. If we had even just a different mindset that CS should be about growth and business partnership, not maintenance and react reactivity. And that, that shift is something I think CS can make independently. Yeah. And I think one of the things we often talk about on the, uh, the podcast is focusing on where CS teams sit and how they should be structured and stuff like that. But I guess, um, to your point before we started recording from a more holistic view in terms of, um, the wider organization, where do you think customer success should be placed to make sure that it's not operating in silos and it's, it's getting the best contribution from other departments in it. Uh, yeah. A yeah. I'll try to give, I'll try to give some insights here. Um, the, there, there, and I'll just tell you how I've done it. I would never be a VP of sales if I didn't also control customer success. 
because I want to control the end to end customer experience. And because I know that that's actually what's best for revenue too. If I have a sales organization that's not incentivized to close bad deals, if I have, and is therefore incentivized to tee up customer success because I own the number at a top level. If I was a VP of sales or CRO, I would never, ever, ever take a job if I didn't control customer success too. Now within customer success, I'm going to try to like bifurcate roles. You have account management. And again, you might call it something different in your org. You know, you could refer to CS as like the training, the service, the maintenance, and you could reserve, you could refer to account management as growth, or you could flip those things. I, it, it's really, there's two relationships. You have your end user relationship, making sure people love and adopt the product. And then you have your business level relationships, smaller level clients. They're probably the same person, but as you grow in the enterprise, they're two very different DNAs. What we did at Chartbeat, where I was the VP of sales, I think we did something that's really interesting is we had account management roll into sales, but we actually had CS, which was our support org roll into product. And because if people aren't adopting product needs to hear it, you know, product needs to know and needs to stay closer to it. So I don't, that, there's not a lot of orgs that do it that way, but I think you have to think about the customer journey and the customer experience as a part of this too. And that, that's kind of my, my part of my take on this is, is so I, my, I'm a big fan of it all living under one roof so that nobody has misaligned incentives, you know, to be siloed, to not work together and, and, and make things happen. I think it makes, yeah, it makes a lot of sense when you, when you kind of say it like that, because I guess the, the overall purpose really is if you've got happy customers, they're going to buy more from you and then they're going to make recommendations, which is going to in turn help and support kind of new business efforts. And then if you've got a team that isn't incentivized, perhaps maybe from a revenue perspective, you are able to focus more around value, around product adoption. And you're more incentivized to kind of get that feedback, relay it back to product, as opposed to in perhaps maybe some setups where it could be more about upsell, uh, upsell. Yeah. The the kind of other aspect to that role can probably be it has to be kind of yeah forgotten, and then you you end up like you say being being reactive, I guess. That's right. Like I like for me, you know, I grew up whenever I grew up in sales, right? Like the late two thousands. Really, I mean, I was in a role where I had to generate my own leads. I mean, this is what sales used to be. You generated your own leads, you closed your own deals, and you worked with accounts. Why that's so amazing is there was no incentive for me to book bad meetings because I, yeah. my comp wasn't based on that. There was no incentive for me to like jam through a deal with a client because I knew I had to go work with Tim and Tim was a dick, you know, <laughs> like, so, you know, but, but that's okay. We can still be specialized, but, but you do have to think about those handoffs percentages. You have to think about your compensation plans and, and how you're incentivizing or disincentivizing, you know, certain behaviors. So um, yeah, it certainly is. I, I feel like treating account management or CS as a growth engine is, and, and then if the companies don't have a ceiling, then you treat it as reactive. But that's it. But, you know, for me and my organizations, when I was scaling early, almost all of my sales reps might, may or may not have come from SDR. They came from account management because they had new, they talked to customers. They knew how to talk about the product. They closed, like they were closing deals and then they wanted to go into new business. You know, like that is a good CS. A good CS person says the very first question out of every single CS person's account or when they, when they inherit an account, before you ask it, you need to know how that company makes money. If you don't know how the company makes money, you can't help them as a CS rep. I tell my, my consultants this all the time that, you know, you, we can't do a plus work if you don't really understand intimately their business. And I think a lot of CS reps skip that part. They're overly focused on the product and education. That's not your job. 
Your job is to help your clients solve business challenges with your product, but you got to invest in understanding their business challenges and understanding how they make money and their goals. Yeah, that, that's a lot of the disconnect right now. It's so true. And I see so many um, CSMs kind of make this mistake whereby when users aren't using the product, their immediate go-to is like maybe they need training. But typically the reason they're not using the product is because they don't understand the value. And a big part of that is because you've not been able to touch on the reasons why they would want to use that. And it all yeah. goes back to the end goal around essentially how they make money. Like you said, really, what is it that your product can do to help with their outcome, which in the yeah. majority of instances would always be um, some version of that, right? Yeah. Like some version and, of that. And then the other reason that, that they don't use the product. So there's two other like pieces of advice that I'll give to, you know, primarily, you know, CS folks out there is, um, you know, the actual reason why a lot of people aren't adopting is change management. They're used to doing things a certain way. So training isn't helping. Mm -hmm. This is about, you got to help them get unstuck internally. You got to go play HR therapist to go figure out what the hell is going on and go fix it. And I think a lot of CS reps think like that, you know, that sometimes like my job is to educate on product. No, sometimes you got to roll up your sleeves and go help them solve organizational challenges or they're going to churn. And your choice is really binary. You either choose to do that or you sit back and you, they churn, right? So that's step one is change management is a massive reason for um, churn, right? That, that they never, there's a workflow challenge they have that, that what our product does is counter to that. And it's easier to just always go back to the status quo. The other thing is multi-threading. I have to tell you this, the most common, if I look across our clients, it's always in the top three. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three. The number one reason for churn is your current point of contact left. That is the most solvable thing that you can ever challenge you can ever have. Like, and it starts in the onboarding process. So this is like a quick hack, a quick tip for all of you NCS. If you're doing the onboarding process, an onboarding process set expectations. So say something to the effect of like, okay, great. So let me tell you about our process and what's going to happen over the next eight weeks. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And then typically we'll loop in Veronica who's in this department or this, and we'll walk her through a high level to understand what the deployment looks like, because obviously this is going to work really closely with her team. You know, does that work for you, Susan? Great. You have to start to get new points of contact because you again, I talked to billion dollar companies and small companies and the, the, it's such a solvable problem that you, you have to get multi-threaded in your accounts. You need at least one other point of contact and in big clients, you need more like four or five. So those are kind of some tactical things that I think anybody in CS can do that will immediately change the quality of conversations they're having and you know, dramatically reduce churn. Yeah, absolutely. I think you raise a good point there about the onboarding. I think um, that's definitely something that a lot of people miss out on in terms of how how much of an impact it can have on the relationship with that client. And maybe that's some it. people, I think some people misjudge where they think onboarding begins as well. And again, maybe that comes back to CS being almost one step removed from the rest of the, the, the company and the organizations. Um, you know, from a client's perspective or a customer's perspective, their onboarding starts with you know, the first moment that they even hear about your brand as a, as a company. Whereas from a CSM's perspective, typically their onboarding is, you know, that first training session or that first uh, conversation that they have, but they've already known about the, the products several. And our um, CS reps, I mean, are you going and proactively making the reps sit down with you and spend an hour with you talking about the client? Yes or no? If the answer is no, you, you know, I, I, there's so many things in life where if you invest just a little bit of time up front, 
it saves you exponential headaches down the road. The onboarding process is a massive one of those. Go get up to speed. So then on the onboarding call, you're like, all right, so I understand, Timmy, that you're, we're trying to do this, we're trying to do this, we're trying to do this. Okay. I understand these might be our traditional rope. The, it, it's pathetic. It, it really is pathetic. Most companies onboarding that the customer, think about the customer. I'd explain this shit to an SDR, then to a salesperson, <laughs> then to onboarding, then to my CS person. Yeah. And you wonder why I'm frustrated. You wonder why I'm not happy. And so, so that's, that's the first thing with like onboarding is that you need to do more prep. We're not doing that. The other thing, if you are compensating anybody in your organization on speed of onboarding, you are creating a bad user experience for a lot of people. There are certain companies that let's say you think your number is six weeks. Some companies need 10. Some companies need two. Some companies need, it looks really nice on a chart and says six weeks, but I am telling you every organization that I see where, where, where onboarding time is how those people are comped issues, issues with year one churn, because I'm, you're trying to jam these people through onboarding versus, you know, your goal is to get them to power usage. However long that takes. Every, every organization, every sales and revenue engine exists to do one thing, create power users. That's it. They don't care about signed con 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 like Company doesn't care about, care about signed contracts. They care about usage, the utility, getting it on the back end. And so it, as soon as you align to that, that every organization's responsibility and goal is to produce power users. And it goes back to like, that's why me running sales, I, I, that's what I believe. And so I know that the signed contract is step one and I need to think about that experience post if I'm going to keep that client for four years and, and not have to worry about renewal. So I, I think those are some of the big things that in CS, you have to have that mindset that it's not about speed. It's about organizational change management and how to fit it in this organization versus that. And there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of similarities, but there's also um, enough nuances to where you have to be super careful. That's why I hate, I really hate speed as a, a metric. Yeah, definitely. It goes back to what you say about change management. There are so many nuances, I guess. You could even have two companies that are very similar in the same vertical. They probably have the same uh, like deployment in terms of how they're going to use it, but the right. length it takes them to get to that value could be yeah, completely. They only, that other company had 10 people in sales ops, and this company has three. Yeah, and exactly. that company is migrating a CRM. This company is not. There's so many different things. And again, if you're not asking those questions and you keep training them, training's not the problem. You know, it, that you have, unlock your brain, CS reps. The training is not the only arrow in your quiver. Like go get to know the business. Say, hey, you know what, Tim? This is what I use. So whenever we go in and overhaul CS teams, this is literally the very first meeting they have. This is exact script that we teach them. Hey, Tim, you know, look, I, I was reviewing details, but look, first, I, I want to apologize. Like I realized like I haven't taken the time to really understand the initiatives at XYZ. So what I want to do on this call is maybe spend the first just five or 10 minutes. What are the top goals that you have in this quarter and next for your department? The amount of CS reps that can't answer that question is too high. And so, you know, you, you have to really be invested in the outcomes you're producing, you know, not just the, are they trained and did they, did they log in? Yeah. And I guess you then link that to what you were saying around having multiple points of contact as well, because the goals of, of one person in one organization will be completely different to someone that manages a, a completely different team. <clears throat> well, yeah. And, and, and then if they, and then that person leaves, every CS rep knows exactly what I'm talking about. Every CS rep knows this. It's, mm -hmm. it's very well known. Then like my question is, what the hell are you doing about it? Yeah. You know, it's the most actionable thing that I can teach you. You now know that you need to go do it. So immediately hit pause on this podcast right now. 
right? Go to LinkedIn sales navigator, create a list of all your current accounts and the five people around it, connect with all those people and start building relationships and then hit play in a week and a half and listen to the rest. So true. I think, I think what I'm hearing as well from this is like, it's almost people forget the basics. So if you think about like your first role, whether that's in sales, whether it's in customer yeah. success, these are the things that you get taught. Like, make sure that you've got a good handover. Make sure you do that discovery before you jump on a call. Make sure you qualify it correctly with regards to price. For, let's say a training session, for example, you know what it is that they want to achieve. And I think along the way, sometimes we, we get dragged into maybe other projects or all of this like strategic thinking on new initiatives to implement and we forget those basics. And then before you know it, you can end up in a situation where you're just not doing those basics anymore. And it's, it's probably quite eye opening really just to think about it from a perspective of like, what are the, what are the, key with the current client? You, you forget it, right? Like even with the current client, just to echo your point, it's like, even with the current client, you don't check in on the goals at the core, mm -hmm. at the, you didn't say, Hey, look, it, we're six months in. Hey, in our last conversation, we talked about these three things. What's changed as opposed to continuing to move forward, going North when the client actually is now headed East. Mm -hmm. You've got to use every customer point to assume if you are your CS rep and you assume that everything has changed before for your client, before every single call, you will foundationally run a completely different quarterly business review, monthly business review, et cetera. You have to assume everything has changed and then it's your job to go and re-find out what's happening and calibrate. Yeah. I think that prevents you from falling back into those bad habits as well. Cause another bad habit of um, a typical CSM led QBR would be to completely uh, be like product focused and talk about, you know, here's our product roadmap. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we've changed. And then you completely forget to, like you say, ask about the, the goals and how they've changed for the, the yeah. client. So something, um, that what that we've been finding out really from these these podcasts is that that customer success can mean so many different things within within different organizations from your experience with the companies that you've worked with the the teams that you've implemented around cs how would you as a perhaps maybe a cs leader be trying to position the value of customer success within an organization today yeah i mean i well there's like the, the easy ones which is retention mm -hmm. and growth right yeah uh, but, you know, to me, look, I think that there are two foundational things that happen when you become a customer. You need somebody, or again, this can be the same person. So this is why, you know, I, the way that we refer to it, we actually refer to account management as the person who controls the business relationship. So this person is talking to them about quarterly goals, what's happening, what's moving forward. And then again, I'm talking about like mid-market enterprise right now. Again, it, your, your cost of sale may not be able to afford two people. And that's fine. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that model. And then you have your, your customer success, which is responsible for end user adoptions, trainings, admins, basically making sure the wheels are on the track, new users are getting up to speed. They're really responsible for their usage, mm -hmm. right? So I think one person is responsible for hitting business KPIs. The other spots person is responsible for hitting, you know, usage metrics, right? So, you know, and it's important that, you know, even if you're one person doing both, you need to, you need to have two hats. You know, and even if you're, if you're doing more of the tactical stuff, this is your wake up call to stop, to start realizing, man, do I actually know what business my clients are in? Do I know what they're trying to accomplish? You got to have both. You can't have successful client relationships if you don't know both. If I don't know the issues with usage and what they're trying to accomplish as a business. So that, that's how we refer to CS and AM. And so, and like I said, retention and growth is obviously the easiest one, you know, from a metric standpoint. Um, 
but I think, I think it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's that, it, it, you know, I think you have to be really successful. You have to have a growth mindset that like, I'm going to try like, and, and so we, a lot of the work that we do is we, one of the first things is, is making sure we have the right tiers for service. That means tier ones, here's how we're going to treat tier one. Tier two, here's how we're going to treat tier two. And here are our checkpoints. Tier three, here's how we're going to teach, uh, you know, teach. And it might be that, look, only tier ones get an AM and a CS. And maybe, because again, you got to look at your cost to sell those types of things. But, you know, you know, and, and, on, and then one, you know, your major account people might only be able to have three accounts because there's so much growth opportunity. So I think that, that for me, a lot of this is, and I've talked about this a couple of times now, it's just, it's just having that growth mindset. That, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to try to put this client in like a growth track and not just wait and, and that part of that is if you're a leader, it's you're setting your quotas wrong that you've got to, you know, I'm just trying to think about there's a million different ways to do quota, but you know, usually let's say someone has a, a half million dollar book, right? Um, so that means they're coming into each quarter with X amount up for renewal. Well, if I'm going to give this CS rep or an account manager, right? So whoever's in charge of growth, guess what? Your quota for next year is 750,000. That's your quota, <laughs> right? So coming into this quarter, you know, look, oh, you lost a hundred thousand big deal. Now go find me 350,000 in growth. That is, that is what every CS org should be ran. That this is a growth organization. We're not satisfied with the, what you're doing now. Now, and again, that's maybe if it's a tier two or tier three where we're in maintenance mode, right? Or like whatever that looks like. But I think that that, that is the most important thing is that you have these tiers of accounts and that your, your quotas are set to a point to where it incentivizes growth. It doesn't just incentivize to maintain or 5% net negative churn or whatever it is, which is, which is really low. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so true. Cause it's, I mean, it's such a good, and, and from just from experience, like CS is such a good growth engine, whether that's even in the, in the long term as well, just from making customers happier, helping them to see value, they will typically buy more because they're invested in, in kind of what you do and how you're able to help. Um, so yeah, completely that's reactive though. Completely. What I would, yeah. What I would say there's like making them happy guys. That's a low fucking bar. <laughs> like if, <laughs> Oh, you made them happy. No, you need to get into the business, understand this business unit, this business unit, this business unit. Okay. What are their goals? Their goals, their goals, their goals. And then I can mm. grow the relationship. Making Louise happy is step zero. That is the baseline. That, that means you are a reactive customer. You're a customer service rep. If mm-hmm. your job, if you think your job in CS is to make people happy, quit your job, go pick up a headset and go do customer service. Your job is to grow business, not mm-hmm. to sit back on your haunches and, oh, good. Oh, Susan. Oh, we got a great relationship. I sent her cookies. You know, sorry. <laughs> I guess they fired up because this is, cookie order. whenever we go into customer success teams is we got to change the mindset. Mm-hmm. You're not a service rep. You're not in, if you're in customer service, I'm going to pay you half. I'm going to give you a headset and I'm going to give you a teleprompter. Like read this thing. You're not service. You are, you have to turn on your brain and grow the relationship. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you're exactly who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. If you don't know how your company makes money, if you don't know who the 18 other people within that organization are that could do business with you or two, if you or one or whatever it is, you're not doing your job. You're be proactive. What else are you doing? You're sitting back eating donuts, like go out and make it happen. Grow the account relationship. That's your job. Not 100%. just service them. Yeah, and I guess, I guess kind of with that, so in that setup where you have account management and then customer success, so it, it's, a, it's essentially, a, 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 I guess, a joint effort to grow that business, right? Exactly. And 
just different roles and responsibilities. So from a CS perspective, probably more what I'm hearing here, and correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. understanding those goals, finding new contacts, bringing everyone together, and then finding out what else we can do to grow that business. And then probably more so from an account management perspective, bringing them in to talk commercials and join the dots and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. That, when it works. And, and also mm-hmm. when you have that relationship, I can actually, if I'm the account manager, I can tell my, the CS, Hey, go plant some seeds around like this thing because like they've got the, the end user relationships. So they can kind of have conversations that are, you know, like, you know, they're more of like the buddy of the account person, you know, they're more like, so they can kind of, you can use that, but that's exactly right. A good, if you are in that situation, it's, it should be a team, you know, and again, with, with our clients and we've got, you know, one very large client and, you know, every year, you know, in December and January, they finish their annual account plans. You know, they, you know, and I'm talking about like their, their larger, you know, mid market and enterprise. If you only have a hundred accounts, you should have a plan of attack for every single account. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely no reason not to, you know, who are the players? Who are the stakeholders? What, blah, 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 blah. You know, what is this? What is that? You need to, and then again, even if you don't have a tiers, you put them in your own tiers. Great. These people are maintenance mode. These people are like maintenance, you know, could be growth, could be maintenance. I don't know. So I'm going to do this play and then I'm going to put them in a bucket. These people are growth. So I'm going to be spending more of my time here. Yeah. So that's, you know, as an individual, I think that's something that you can action with, even if your company's not doing it. Mm. And I think just yeah, probably, definitely. sorry, Alex, I was just going to say on the, the measurement side. So of that CSM team, if you are the leader, for example, what incentives or what KPIs do you need in place in order to make sure that the CSM is, is actually driving growth? Because a lot of customer success teams will be targeted on retention and usage, like you say. So what happens is you get usage in a good place, you've got low churn. Like you say, you can then almost sit back in a way. How do you then ensure that people are consistently pushing for growth? Is it just giving them quotas? So should yes. CSMs carry a quota? Um, yes. and yeah, anything else? Yes. Yeah, it's simple. Raise their quotas. Mm-hmm. Like your book of business coming into 2021 is a half a million dollars. The book of business coming out of 2021 needs to be 750,000. That's it. Done. Yeah. Oh, oh, you lost an account? Okay, look, you inherited it. It sucked. Great. Then you get quota relief, right? Whatever it is. So great. This quarter you have $250,000 in renewals coming up. Amazing. Right. Until you hit 500, guess how much money you make until you hit 500? Zero. Zero. So in that quarter, you do 220,000. You know, and I, look, I'm okay with giving like a haircut of 5% or 10%. You know, like mm. I'm okay with some of that, but I've, lots of organizations have zero. Like, so it's like, oh, cool. You have 250,000. That 50,000 didn't renew. Okay, cool. Where's that other 50,000 going to come with? So you can actually make a bonus, you know, or it's based on like, you can also do it on like, you know, hey, like zero, if, if the renewal in that quarter is under 80,000, they're eligible for up to like $5,000 a quarter if they maintain these revenue, you know, kind of growth thresholds. So I think if you tie it to revenue, look, because here's the thing, if you tie it to revenue, you don't like, you have to make sure that they're using the product. They're not going to grow if they're not using the product. And so it, it can simplify things too, where yes, they need to be using it, but <clears throat> if they're not, you know, it's like, focusing on usage first, I think is, is probably right. But you know, you also have to assume that your product's good and you know, that your CS counterpart or, or that you are doing a good job on an ongoing basis to make making sure they're going to use it. Mm-hmm. 
Brilliant. Um, now, probably probably on this subject as well, still, something, something we're obviously saying there's a massive risk to everyone at the moment. So teams are obviously in a position where they could be cut because of because of how the economy is is going and particularly with customer success if you are in an organization where you are perceived as quite reactive and almost like a nice to have what i guess what kind of challenges do you foresee um within SaaS in general at the moment but probably yeah. more so with an emphasis on customer <clears throat> success teams that are operate operating in that way yeah, my worry is that it's not going to help, right? Like mm. because CS has been so reactive, it's like, well, I'll just give them another 30 accounts. They're just being reactive anyway, you know? So, you know, if an average account takes X or Y, so that I think that's probably what I'm most worried about is that the CS teams are going to be even more service mindset because they're going to just have to deal with more accounts. Um, but again, as a CS rep, as an individual, don't just accept it. Tear out your accounts like I just talked about. What are the behavior traits of a tier one? And spend 50% of your time there. What's the behavior traits of a tier two? Spend 30% or 40% of your time there. What's the behaviors and the traits of your tier three accounts? You know, it's like, how many of you really know your book of business? So, you know, I, I, that's probably my fear. But it, it shouldn't stop anyone from still doing, you know, the things that we're talking about, you know. So still mm -hmm. be reactive with a certain group, but, you know, spend your time where you can, you know, maybe it's only your top 10 accounts you can afford to be proactive with. Okay, fine. Great. You know, don't try to do everything at once. Yeah. Yeah. I think you could potentially make an argument that there's even more opportunity now for doing the, the change, change management that we were talking about and really sure. using this as a time to understand because every single client that you work with now will be going through that's right. change as we've, we've not seen for a very long time. So that's yeah, right. now is definitely the opportunity to, to go in and, and truly understand what those changes are that they're facing and, and how, yeah, how does your platform, your product, your software fit in to those challenges? <laughs> yeah, I, that's a, that's an excellent point. Yeah. I mean, it's like probably the most ideal time, you know, to where it's, it's not going to be out of the blue whatsoever. It's going to be expected. And um, I suppose with the, so something I really was keen in sort of talking to you about was um, with regards to like how we communicate with customers at the moment. So for example, I'm still in the habit of like reaching out to clients on email that perhaps may be inactive, um, dropping people calls randomly without, um, you know, scheduling a time, for example. Now, what I'm kind of getting to is understanding where their attention is and then adapting the way that we try to communicate to clients, how we try and grab their attention. So is there anything that you're doing currently or that you're seeing probably from more so of a, a sales perspective in order to just grab our clients' attention, whether that's video or whether it's messaging people on LinkedIn rather than email, for example, is there anything like that that you think people should be trying to adopt? Yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got, there's a, a few different kind of ideas for everyone. Okay. First of all, the reason your clients don't want to meet with you is you, you suck. You're boring. You talk about the same thing every single time. And that's why they stop showing up for your quarterly business reviews after the first one, because every single time it's a check-in touch base catch up and they ain't got time for that. And so step one is to realize what's the value that you're going to bring to the conversation. And if you're not bringing value and not, that doesn't mean like, let's review your data. I'm telling you, no executive is trying to sit through that. Like mm -hmm. that's exactly why you might have executive buy-in off the jump, but then over time you get relegated to Nancy 
that's why you get relegated. You get introduced to and you get to talk to who you sound like. That is how business works. If you sound like tactical admin settings, you know, here's how you add new users and I'm the VP, I'm like, why am I on this? I don't need to know how to add you. That's, that's two levels below me. So step one is like, if you want to stop having to worry about chasing, level up the quality of your interactions. That alone will make a big impact. People will want to talk to you because you add value to them. And adding value is not just talking about your new product release and your product roadmap. That is not value. Educate them. Talk to them about what their peers are doing and not some fake ass peer that you don't even like literally get to know their, if you don't know their business, you don't know who their peers are. So again, this all like goes hand in hand. So that's just like my first, like just to take a step back. The reason that this is happening and you're having to chase is your customers don't see value in meeting with you. Let's just call it, that's exactly what it is. And so you have to just first accept that, that if my customers, every customer that doesn't want to meet with me, this is a mirror check to say, what am I doing? Like, am I boring? Am I, am I really adding value? Like Jake's talking about, do I really know their business? Am I, am I reading an industry report on their business that I'm going to like walk them through and adjust our strategy based on that proactively? If you're not doing that, I'm not going to want to meet with you consistently. So that's, that's kind of step one. Step two is text, text message, LinkedIn. Right, that's all I would be doing. If I was a CS rep today, text message, LinkedIn. So first let's talk about text message, right? If you are texting with your clients, it means you have a relationship. It's simple, right? You should get the mobile phone of every single customer and you should, again, assuming you, you get there, you say, look, so hey, from time to time, we're gonna have new updates, whatever. Is it cool, do you just want me to text you? Is that easy, right? This is the most sacred real estate, right? One of it. That's also why LinkedIn to me is like the sister because LinkedIn is, is here too. So text message would be, would be first. When you talk about emails, calls, skip all that test. Two is LinkedIn. So I want you to imagine, I want you to picture this world with me. Follow along, follow along on a journey with me. As we go <laughs> this. That's what the, the podcast mic is great for this. It's awesome. <laughs> Radio voice. And, okay, so, so, so here's the journey we're gonna go through, okay? Is that you need to make sure you connect with every single one of your clients on LinkedIn and the four or five people that you want to maintain relationships. That's that's pretty easy, right? Yeah, I'll connect with them. The next step, you have to start putting out content. You have to. If I'm a CS rep and it's not resharing, the reason that nobody interacts with your content other than your coworkers is you keep resharing stupid posts that are boring. So I, as a CS rep, you need to be an expert on your industry. And, and therefore on your clients' industries. So I'd say, look, for, for if you're in manufacturing, here are the top three trends around you know, retention in, 20, in post-COVID. If I was selling like a, a customer service software, boom, boom, boom. Then I'd send that to my manufacturing clients. But guess what? If they connect with you and follow you, LinkedIn is like a drip touch point. So if I'm posting just twice a week, they, I, I'm staying top of mind without having to be annoying, right? So that, that's, that literally is the basic play that I would be running. Make sure that I'm on a text, a text basis with my tier ones. I don't even want to be on a text basis with my tier threes, right? Like they're great people. I want to maintain them, but I'm not, I don't have time, right? And then on LinkedIn, now that's where I can nurture everybody. So I'm going to make sure I'm connected with everybody. So then, and I'm going to stop sharing company stuff and I'm going to start having an opinion on, on, on the impact that our product has. So again, that could be again around, let's say if you sell a customer success software of some type, you know, then that could be just around like, hey, how are teams in blah talking about social media and customer success? Here are the top three tips, one, two, three. And you can take that from your company's white papers, just borrow some of the language there and 
use that. You can take it from client conversations when they teach you something or tell you something, you know, from a peers conversation, there's a million different ways that you can get, you know, this type of stuff. So that, that is what I would be doing because then, because LinkedIn posting allows you to nurture people without having to have a one-to-one -one conversation. Like you, like you said that you follow, like, again, like you follow my content, et cetera. So we get on this conversation, like, Oh, like Jake, like I kind of know this guy, like, or like, I kind of have a night, like that's the same thing. If it's a current customer, like they, whether you're, you're not having to have a real conversation with them to where there's some, there's some type of relationship capital that's being built. So that's Amazing. how, that's how I would think about it. So it's almost like, I guess, building your own personal brand really on LinkedIn, but having that network of your clients. Because I think there's sometimes a focus on, especially from marketing, on like new biz to be pushing out content on LinkedIn, perhaps like you say, having an opinion. But CS can do that too, because we can, we have those relationships, we can connect on LinkedIn, and then we can drip feed content and our opinion in a personable way, perhaps maybe through video. And then like you say, you're, you're kind of building that relationship subconsciously with, with mm -hmm. those contacts. Um, yeah. And then, and then actually another one I should have mentioned is, is LinkedIn DMS on your mobile. So on mm -hmm. a LinkedIn mobile app, when we're a first degree connection, I can drop you a voicemail. I can send a personalized video. Love that idea. Mm -hmm. Right. So whether it's text or that, I love, I love that too. It's personal. It's not email or call. It's, you know, it's personalized. Yeah. So. Yeah. I really like what you say about, um, like using original content as well and just sort of reshaping and reformatting what your, your company is producing. Um, cause I, I can definitely vouch for that when you scroll through the LinkedIn feed and it's just, you know, you see the same thing being reshared four times in a row and it's just liked by that person's colleagues. It's not really adding value That's 90% to anyone else. Content. Yeah. yeah. Only their peers because you're not adding people proactively. You need to add, again, because your job is growth, not service, right? There's an element of your job that's service, but that's not your primary job, mm -hmm. right? That you should be adding 10 people from every customer. Easy, you know? So you get a new customer, you connect with 10 new people. You get a new customer, connect with 10 new people, right? So then you get non-employees seeing it. And you'll see the results almost immediately. The good part about everything I'm saying, if you just follow this playbook and for 45 days, I promise, just this LinkedIn, whatever, I, you're going to see results almost immediately. What, what do you, because it sounds like, I think from a, what we've spoke about in terms of not really doing the basics with regards to like the handovers, not doing the basics in terms of just trying to understand like why they've actually purchased your product and, and how you're supporting them with their own goals. And then again, just like re, like just resharing content from marketing perhaps on LinkedIn and not personalizing that. Do you think this kind of almost comes down to just a little bit of laziness sometimes? Like, you know, you should be doing this stuff, but you almost just get to the quickest end goals. You're like, right, well, I should be posting on LinkedIn. So I'm just going to quickly take a link from something else that somebody else has posted and then just rehash it out without taking the time to really digest that content, understand well, what is the value from that. And here are the key points and provide that summary already for your clients. Do you think it just sometimes comes down to a little bit of laziness really with those activities? Or nervousness, right? Mm -hmm. People are nervous to like put content out there that it's safe to post a link or reshare an ebook, you know? So uh, it's, it's a little bit of both. Yeah. yeah it's, it, it's nervousness. It's, um, you know, maybe a little bit of laziness, but I think it's more people, you know, also it's like, they might not be able to see the exact benefit out of the gate. So they're like, why am I producing content? Like, look, as a CS person, your job is to be an, you know, if you're not an expert in your customer's industry, the, 
how can you help them? It goes back to what I talked about in the very beginning. And so you should feel comfortable sharing stuff. Yeah, I think, I think it's an interesting point though, actually around just not feeling comfortable because like even when Alex and I first did this podcast, like the, the first time we released it and posted it on LinkedIn, you think, what is everyone going to think? Like what my colleagues going to think when they listen back to this and almost it, like when you start getting into that mentality, like you, you, you do stop doing stuff. And I probably agree that is probably why people don't want to provide their opinion as much as they probably could do just in case of that judgment. I suppose it's getting out of the mentality, isn't it? To, that's, to that's right. It's the judgment of your peers. That's a big reason why a lot of people don't post, you know, they're worried that, you know, Adam's going to be, or, you know, or, you know, is going to say, Hey, Hey, Alex, like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you like? Oh, look at him. He thinks he's smart. Yeah, I actually, I posted about this literally this morning, this exact, this exact topic that, you know, but, you know, this is your online reputation. That's how you got to think about it. You can't go to a networking event and speak. You can't go to do this. Like LinkedIn is just a version of that. Yeah. And so. I guess you've got to remember that you're potentially the expert in that subject, like you said. So you're technically posting this for your customers. You're not posting it for, uh, for your colleagues and your peers. Nailed. So you have to remember that, Nailed. yeah, you're, you're posting it for them and you're trying to go back to what we said at the start, add value to what it is that they, they do and give them a reason to see why your product is useful that's exactly it man that's exactly it you're not doing it for your peers you're doing it for your customers and that's it that i think that that mindset actually helps people too you know but, but again but again start easy just repurpose content your company's putting out or something you learned in a conversation so don't you don't have to reinvent the wheel either you know you don't have to go all in you don't need to worry about doing videos or any of that stuff but yeah amazing so um with with the kind of success that you've had, um, so you obviously had a really successful career in in kind of sales, where you were was it a VP of sales by like the age of thirty or yeah something, and then obviously going on to, to kind of found your own company. What advice would you give to somebody like me and Alex, so kind of late twenties at the moment in our roles? Like, what should we be thinking about in terms of like one, probably growing our experience, and then two, yeah. looking to get ahead um, in our industry. Well, one, I think you guys are doing the right thing by doing this podcast. I think it's awesome. I mean, I think, you know, having that, doing this to establish, you know, that this is a career that you're interested in, that you care about this, this world is going to be important. You know, you know, for anyone, LinkedIn right now is really greenfield. And I've talked a little bit, I've talked a little bit about it, you know, the last part here, but you know, it really is like being an Instagram person in 2013. And a lot of people think LinkedIn's getting noisy. I'm like, dude, if you think it's noisy now, I literally think we're at step one of 10 of the noisiness. So, you know, my advice is be very purposeful about the career that you want and then put out content that's related to helping your customers or whoever those people might be and establish yourself in that. Because that. Your, your network goes with you wherever you go, right? Whether you started your own company, whether you work in a space, you can port that network from company to company. You know, so I think what you guys are doing right now is great. You're put, you're producing content, you're putting out original ideas. So I, I would do a lot of that if I was someone your age. Um, the other thing I'll tell you something I didn't do early in life, really until I started my own company, I didn't really understand the importance of mentorship. So I would consistently try to find two people that are two steps above where you want to be. And the reason is those are the people that have kind of seen your, the path and they're not the manager, they're a director. You know, they're not a, yeah, they're not a director, they're a VP. 
So, uh, you know, that would be my advice. I wish I would have done that. I didn't, I did that late. I did that too late. I think, you know, I, it probably would have not got me fired from certain jobs and like, you know, like I, I probably could have like lasted longer as a VP of sales. Like you're never going to last four years. It's never going to ever, ever happen. So like, but I probably could have lasted longer if I would have got a few more mentors, but you know, so I, I think that would be my other advice is don't try to reinvent the wheel with your career either. Like just go see what these guys did, what they do to be successful. For me, the way I was able to get promoted so fast is, you know, and just through variety of different organizations is I don't, it is not my, my boss's job. Your, my boss's job is to care about me and to help make me better, but they don't own my personal development. So if you're not investing in yourself every day to get better over and over and over, then, um, then that's, that's issue one, that you're going to get all your learning on the job. And therefore, if I, let's say, I mean, just if you guys know how 401k works, right? If I am a, you know, I'm an individual and I start investing when I'm 23 versus 28 and I'm just investing nickels, right? That ends up being hundreds of thousands of dollars later in life. Learning is the exact same way. If I'm reading or I'm listening or doing whatever to one or two books a, a month, I'm having two coffees a month, three years later, I'm two years ahead of you, you know, or maybe a year ahead of you, or at least you know, six months ahead of you. So that shit compounds over time. And so I've always invested in myself. You know, I went back and got my, I was a sales manager. I went back and got my MBA. I didn't need an MBA to do the job, but I knew that I needed a better perspective to understand what was happening outside of just revenue. And so, you know, it's, it's, these are the types of decisions that you have to make to invest in yourself. So putting out the content, you know, networking, mentorship and, and, and investing in yourself, that's, that's the, the recipe. Awesome. Do you think there's also, um, I guess a point to be made around trying to find out um, uh, and sort of, yeah, display what type of personality you are and figuring out like your tone and the way that you want to, to be seen uh, within your network and, and, and people like that. Yeah. My, my advice there is don't overthink it, man. You'll figure it out. Like, mm -hmm. you know, trying to, to think I'm going to be known as this and then you'll overanalyze every post and you'll like, just start posting stuff and then you'll say, okay, now I feel comfortable being a little more me or, more blah. Like, I think you got to crawl, walk, run with some of this. And there's a certain personality type. Maybe if you like grew up in theater or something where you're okay to like put it all out there. But uh, you know, I think a lot of people overthink figuring out their why and shit like real early. And it's like, just do, just yeah. try, you know, Gary Vee says, just taste, you know, taste here, taste, just, just do that, you know, versus overthinking it, you know? That, that's my advice. You know, be purposeful, be thoughtful, but also don't get too, don't let it slow you down. That's great advice. And on that note, actually with Gary V, what was the, the kind of biggest piece of advice that you took away from yeah. um, that talk that you had with him? <clears throat> yeah, it was a simple one. I mean, we were talking to him about social and our strategy and he's like the one, the, the there's two things that he said. And then one was just more. He's like, Jake, the answer is more content great. You're putting out one post a day. You need to be putting out two or three. And by the way, I still, we were on LinkedIn before Gary V. Let's, I'm just going to call it like it is. <laughs> Gary V technically had a profile. He wasn't posting anything. I still think I, I, I'm not taking credit for Gary getting more active on LinkedIn. I will say that we definitely, we talked stats with him mm -hmm. and I'm not saying, cause this is like the end of 2018, right? Gary yeah. V wasn't talking about LinkedIn 2018. I'm just saying. It's true. Um, <laughs> So, but more, I think that that just validated our thesis that it was about, we didn't have to be perfect. It's just getting out more content because the content doesn't live for that long. 
Mm. Lives for a day or two days or three days or four days, you know, like, and then it's gone, poof. So more content, you need more. Um, and then the other is don't pander the algorithm. Meaning like, look, if I want to do a really, if I, like, I'm going to tell you, give you guys a recipe to get a post to go viral on LinkedIn. You post a video that you rip off of someone else's profile that says a soldier meets his daughter for the first time. Truly inspired. And you post that, right? I could also say the other way, write a text-based post that's very tactical or very vulnerable. Boom. But don't pander that. Mix, mix up the content. It's interesting. You talked early on about like, yeah, Jake, I've seen your videos, et cetera. I only do a few videos a week. Mm. Like 80% of my content is text or image, but people remember videos. And so he's, you know, his advice is don't pander to the algorithm. So, you know, you've got to diversify, you've got to create connection and then LinkedIn will change its algorithm. And if you're just used to pandering one way, you're in trouble. If you yeah. don't know how to make videos, if you don't know how to do whatever, like then they stop over-indexing your text posts you're screwed. So that would be my, that was, that's what, that was my, my awesome. takeaway there. That's great. I think the biggest thing I'm going to think probably start to do more is just take more risks. I think with regards to yeah. just put, whether that's putting out content, whether it's trying to make more connections within, within the companies that I'm working with and um, even go above people in some instances and like loop them in, like you said, like sometimes you can get into routines out of comfort and yeah. I think a big part of it is probably being a firstly recognizing that and then just thinking about, well, what can I do to come out of that comfort zone? Because usually that is the answer to the things that you should be doing. It's the things that you feel uncomfortable about that That's right. you should be doing. Yeah. Every time I, every time I feel nervous about a post is when, I, and, and that's usually when a post that's going to do well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for awesome, um, again coming on the show and making the time. Uh, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'm sure our listeners do too and, and got so much value from that. So yeah, really appreciate it, Jake. Yeah. Thanks guys. I appreciate you having me.